You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to share our weekly power rankings, chat with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, plus we're going to spotlight the Patriots and the Lions. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Hall of Famer Aeneas Williams. Aeneas, it's Brian Weber, Cordell Stewart with you. Thanks so much for joining us, and let's start with your initial reaction when you heard that NFL Network wanted to focus on your incredible football journey in the show. Well, first, Brian and Slash, my homeboy from New Orleans, thank you guys for having me on. It's an honor. And to answer your question, just to know that, and I love talking to the current players, that the career would be remembered enough or thought to be important enough to tell the story, but also parlay that story into the current work that my wife Tracy and I are doing here in St. Louis at the Spirit Church in Ferguson, Missouri, it was just an exciting time, and I'm looking forward to other people because uh, part of my mission in life is to help be, help people begin with the end in mind. In other words, have a vision before you get started and then die empty, meaning fulfill the potential. Because as, a, as a, a committed believer to Jesus Christ, it's about the potential that God has invested in each of us. So I am inspired and awed by those that have done interviews, the National Football League, the Arizona Cardinals, the Los Angeles Rams, those teams that gave me opportunities. You talked about a vision, and again, I appreciate you coming on. It's always great to have guys from that little area uh, called New Orleans to to make it and make it big like you have. Um, Coming out of, if if it's okay to say, you started off at Forche to having a chance to go to Southern and and then all of a sudden finding yourself and, and being a part of the game and and now having a gold jacket, like when you took that jacket home to the family members there, uh, how big of a deal was it for your family members to know that, hey, we watched the game, we saw you play the game, and now you are everything what the game is about, which is greatness? You know, you know, Cardell, I think about that jacket symbolizes obviously immortality when it comes down to the pinnacle of having a career lead into the Pro Football Hall of Fame where there are very few. But I'm also encouraged, and with my family members, I walked on a week before the season started my junior year in college. So that jacket is also about the potential that I had as a freshman and a sophomore, not even knowing it, that I had the potential to be an NFL Hall of Fame player. So when you bring it back to whether it's in our communities in New Orleans, but also just the hope that people need now and today in our society. That's both regardless of the community you're from. So hopefully it parlays into the excitement of, yes, football, the NFL, the teams I play for, outstanding. But now look at the life lessons and look what we're able to do now as a result of the platform that each of us now have post and being legends, we call legends of former players, to leverage these experiences in our lives to now go in and serve our country, serve our community, you know, and whatever we're doing, in this case for me, my church, and allowing this great game to help people move forward in their lives with an eternal game plan. The Hall of Famer Aeneas Williams is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Aeneas, you had to match up with some very talented receivers. What do you remember about the details of trying to defend Michael Irvin over the years and the Cardinals win over the Cowboys in the 1998 playoffs? One, it's one of the things I had to overcome, believe it or not, was fear. Whether it's the Michael Irvins, the Randy Mosses, all of these guys that I was matched up on. But having that competition is what I realized the greater the competition, the greater depth that I was able to go through preparation, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, to prepare to play against the Jerry Rices, and the Randy Mosses, the Michael Irvin, the Chris Carter, uh, Marvin Harrison, all Terrell, Terrell Owens, all Isaac Bruce and Tory in practice. I realized each of those guys it forced something to come out of you, and what in this spirit of what we call competition. So that's what excited me, that I had people of like excellence 
that put a demand on me to prepare myself. And here's the kicker. Regardless of whether we won or lost, I never, ever could become a loser if I approached the, the, the drive of excellence, which is attention to details, and to be the best you can be. I knew I could never be a loser. When you look at the, if, if you did, and when you see the hits that happens in the games around the National Football League, particularly the one uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals, um, the one that was laid on uh, Antonio Brown in the end zone uh, to the one that was landed on Vontaz Perfect. Give me your take on how the game has changed from way back when, when you're in the National Football League, to how you're watching it today. And, and how do you see it from the standpoint of, has it become a little bit softer, or is it just a game that's just really all about the care and the safety of the players? Well, it has to evolve. Anything that doesn't evolve ends up like the dinosaur is extinct. So the game had to evolve. My prayers are still going out for Ryan, and but there's a teaching lesson in that tackle with Ryan. He led with his head. So I tweeted out to all coaches and young players and even current players, always see what you hit because those things can be avoided. But my concern now is the, the, peer, the appearance of the lack of respect toward one another. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of the young players – we have to remind them, hey, guys, eventually you won't be playing this game. And one of the most honorable things that I've ever experienced is the respect of my peers, even now, and I'm going on 50 years old, and I just want to remind the players at the end of the day, yes, be aggressive, compete, but also remember the respect for each other. If you do get a solid lick, no need to stand over guys. Continue the sportsmanship because our game now is at a crucial time. And I want this younger generation to continue to be great players. I love all of them. But now to make sure they, have, they still maintain that healthy respect for one another. Chatting with the Hall of Famer Aeneas Williams. Aeneas, you reference faith being a central component of your life. What were the events that led up to you and your wife establishing that church you mentioned in Ferguson, Missouri? Well, one of the things we were doing it the entire time we were playing, uh, I, a guy that poured into my life, a guy by the name of Coach Alfred Piku, who really discipled me as a young believer to help me understand that life was more than just about what I did as a football player, but how would I leverage the influence that I had both with my teammates and in this case with my wife, with the wives and significant others. So every Monday we actually had a Bible study in my home with the players and, and some of my neighbors. And then on Tuesday, every Tuesday, we would have a couple study with my, my wife and wives and significant others and the players. And then on Saturday, she met with the wives and significant others. So we were already involved in local churches. And just in, in 2007, the Lord put on our heart to start this church and, and directed us to this area called Ferguson, Missouri. And just walking by what we sense to do, all of a sudden we end up in the midst of, as many know throughout our country, one of the most combustible times in our in our history with the Michael Brown and Officer Darren Wilson uh, tragedy. So we've been thoroughly equipped through sports to be thermostats instead of thermometers, where you go in when the temperature is high go in with a heart of understanding and empathetic ear to get opposing sides to come together to figure out a way we can all benefit and learn from this horrific situation. Aeneas, it's always a distinct pleasure when we have a chance to chat with you. Looking forward to watching a football life Friday night on NFL Network. Thanks again for the time, and we hope to have an opportunity to chat with you again on Radio Row when we get to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. Thanks, Cardell. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. 
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for our weekly conversation with NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, always a pleasure. Let's start with the announcement that Roger Goodell is receiving a five-year contract extension. Do you think there's any significance to the timing of this announcement with a owner special meeting coming up in Dallas a week from today? Yeah, I think it actually this actually was the hope of having the contract wrapped wrapped up before the special meeting, which is December 13th in Dallas, uh, you know, for a couple reasons. One, you know, they're going to get in the room. All the owners will have a special meeting, a full discussion of, you know, various issues uh, regarding the league, regarding Goodell, and, and some of the things that we've seen debated in public over the past couple of weeks and months. But it certainly sounded like they wanted the Goodell extension done before that, so his status wasn't actually up in the air. Not that it ever was anyway, honestly but they wanted to make sure they got it wrapped up, and that's what they did today. The competition committee unanimously recommended it to the owners. They spoke with more than 20 owners to get insight into uh, Roger Goodell and and his leadership and various other things. Um, They had near-unanimous support from the owners, uh, and they got it done today. Ian, when you think about what took place in in New York with Eli's situation, uh, of course we all know it was an uproar. But now that he's getting the opportunity to start, how does that change things moving forward when it comes to how they're looking at the quarterback position? Do they go into the draft? Do they allow Eli to move forward considering there's a no-trade clause? Give me your take on how you think they'll handle that situation moving forward. Well, Eli fought for that no-trade clause. So, you know, being a member of the Giants is something that he wants for the rest of his career. I know that. Um, you know, now they get in the situation. Look, Geno played last week. Looked fine, I thought. Certainly good enough to be a backup quarterback for anyone. Um, you know, I think that was probably obvious. Davis Webb has not, but just doesn't seem like he's really ready to go. Uh, so, you know, Eli's going to be back. I mean, you know, if they have a chance to play some of the young guys, I imagine they'll do it. Um, you know, but I think what you saw now is, you know, almost like Eli's legacy sort of bolstered. He was taken out of the lineup. He, everyone was an uproar. Everyone realized where his legacy should be. Then he was installed back. So now he's a starting quarterback again, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go next year with him as a starter um, and then draft a top-five quarterback and have Eli mentor this guy. Chatting with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Marcus Peters suspended, not by the league, by the Chiefs. The club decided to send him down for a critical game on Sunday against Oakland. We know about the meltdown that occurred at the Meadowlands. Ian, had Peters exhibited other behavioral issues internally that led to this decision by Andy Reid? Well, this was a decision that was based on um, his walking off the field while the game was still going on. You know, I know a lot of people focus on the actual flag, but this was based on you know him basically walking off the field. Um, he is an emotional guy. He's had, you know, always been emotional, and obviously in college, he certainly did not get along with the previous staff, um, and, and was sort of considered a, a problem there. He is a great player. Um, and the Chiefs knew when they drafted him that having him in the right environment would be important. They think this is going to help. Um, and, look, you got to draw the line somewhere. I mean, for Andy Reid to do this before probably the biggest game of the season is unbelievable, uh, and I'm not sure we'd see a lot of other coaches uh, do what he did. Ian, looking at the Detroit Lions with Matthew Stafford, it's somewhat the same scenario as last year. Uh, in the latter part of the season, he ends up hurting his finger. Uh, you saw what happened at the latter part of that season. Now, all of a sudden, now here it is. It's his right hand along with his right ankle. Do you feel they need to find another way offensively to help him out just a little bit? Because they hadn't had a 100-yard rusher going dating back to 2013. Is the running game going to be the answer to help him out just a little bit? I mean, they wished it would be. But, you know, Theo Riddick was their starter last week. Um you know, Amir Abdullah was out, but, you know, to me it sounds like they were kind of moving on from him, at least temporarily anyway, that he was not going to be the starter. Um, so they're trying like crazy to get a running game. And, you know, I think the offensive line needs to be better too. There was a lot of fanfare when Taylor Decker came back, and, and he's a great player. But hasn't quite played like that this year. And, you know, he's recovering from an injury, so it's not a huge surprise, but – you know, they need to block better. They need to play better in general. Um, and there really is no more room for error. We know that. 
Finally, with Ben McAdoo being released of his duties or relieved of his duties, pushed out on Monday, could any other head coaches fail to make it to the end of the season? Yeah, we could have some. Um, certainly could. You know, and um, I think you're probably not going to see anything immediate because there's no uproar for, you know, the culture struggling out, for instance. That'd be one potential example. But you know, I don't think anyone's going to you know, rush and say Chuck Pagano needs to be gone. You know, this was really the only one that needed immediate action. I mean, maybe, you know, you see teams right after Sunday or, you know, going into week 17 where teams are, we want to get a jump on it a little bit. Um, But I don't think you'll see a situation where someone races to fire someone because at this point, you know, like if you're a bad team, like let's say you're the Browns. So I don't know if they're going to fire their coach or not, but let's say you're the Browns, you know, You've lost every game. Like, what's the difference? You know, keep your guy, let him finish the season, and figure it out. Ian, great information as always. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll chat with you again on Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. All right, thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on Detroit with Tori Petri from DetroitLions.com. Tori, let's start with the key headline coming out of that game on Sunday in Baltimore. Matthew Stafford dealing with the hand injury. We've learned in our conversations with you, like most teams, the Lions don't want to divulge too much about aches and pains. Is it looking like Stafford's going to try to play with a hand injury? And I guess then the follow-up would be, how effective can he be based on what Jim Caldwell's been saying this week? Well, it's hard to say at this point. Um, still early in the week, the Lions have only had one practice open to media. Stafford was limited in that practice. He did not throw in the portion that was open to media. He just kind of, uh, he was dressed for practice with the helmet and everything, but just kind of uh, stood to the side, watched uh, Brad Kaya and Jake Rudolph throw passes. So I'm not really sure what else happened in that practice after it was closed to media. So it's hard to say exactly how that hand is doing since we didn't get to see him throw with it. Um, and we'll see as the Lions have two more practices next week how he progresses. But Jim Caldwell called it a not insignificant injury uh, today. So it sounds like there are some things that he'll have to work through this week and see uh, really how well he can he can do with it and uh you know he played through the hand injury last year so it was a finger injury then but you know he really wasn't the same exact quarterback that he was before it uh, after that injury happened so we'll see what happens this year what do you see being the the pieces of this team that has to step up in order to help him out a little bit because this was a question i was asking last week about not having a running game and, and him being gimpy with the right ankle, now it's the hand. And, and, and you have to, at some point in time, have an answer somewhere else. I know Dwight Freeney is an addition on this defensive side of the football, which I think is a good portion of the team. But what do you see being the strongest portion or the piece that has to step up to help out Matthew Stafford and, and how the game is played? Well, the offensive line really has to be able to protect him and give him time to sit back there and do what he does. You know, he can't be back there panicking about getting hit again. He's a tough guy. You know, he's he's endured a lot of injuries in his time. But the games where he's played well has been the times where he's kind of had time to sit back there and do what he does. Uh, You know, he has good receivers who can make big plays. It's just a matter of giving him the chance to get that ball to them. And at this point, you know, we haven't seen a lot from the Lions run game this year. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough to count on having a massive run, a massive day in the run game to really help out Stafford. Uh, so it, it's hard to say, but defensively, the Lions could certainly get better pass rush to kind of help them on the other side of the ball uh, as well. Spotlighting the Lions with Tori Petri from DetroitLions.com, the Lions team channel here on TuneIn. Tori, since you were talking about the ground game, we know that Amir Abdullah was out with a neck injury in Baltimore. What can you tell us about Tion Green, who made his debut as an undrafted rookie? <laughs> yeah, Tion's a great guy. He's very well-liked in that locker room, great personality. So I think everybody was really happy to see 
him get some snaps, uh, you know, had that kind of opportunity in the preseason where he really had one game where he was going to play a lot, and sure enough, he did, and he showed up in that game, had some very big plays, uh, wow, everybody, and people wanted to see more of him in the regular season ever since, and he finally got that chance uh, this weekend, and he took advantage of it. He you know, just seems to be the type of guy that knows when he has to make a statement for an opportunity, and, and he's done that every time that he's gotten a chance. How much conversations lately uh, has been had uh, when it comes down to the Green Bay Packers there in Detroit, knowing that Huntley has, uh, what, a couple more weeks left, and then you have to anticipate that Aaron Rodgers is going to come back, come back. Is there a sense of urgency now with understanding that potentially you may end up seeing Aaron Rodgers back into the game? Well, the team itself isn't really talking about that because, like most teams, they do the whole one-game-at-a-time thing. They're not going to look ahead, and they're certainly not going to be talking about if and their butts of who's going to be playing quarterback four weeks from now. Um, but, you know, I think that's in the minds of everybody who's, you know, a fan of this team or who follows this team is what could happen in Week 17. Of course, Rodgers is supposed to be back in Week 15, but the Lions might actually need him to be back uh, in order to help the Packers beat the Carolina Panthers uh, in, week, in that Week 15 game because the Lions, you know, they need the Panthers to lose to be able to have any shot at, at, uh, at the playoffs. They can't let the Panthers get past and win. So, you know, there's there's a lot of elements that, that go on here and that, and that happen uh, when you're looking at these last final games of the season. But, of course, you know, they want to keep things in, in their own control and not – uh, you know, just leave it up to other teams losing, and they might have that opportunity if they are able to win out these last four games. But of course, that would involve uh, beating a Packers team that may or may not have Aaron Rodgers in Week 17. All right, let's wrap it up with cross promotion. I hear a wonderful promo featuring you and Lomas Brown and heavy <laughs> rotation here on Tuna. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, it's really fun. Lomas Brown is a former Lions offensive lineman, Lions legend, very well respected in the. Lions community and overall just a great guy. I might add a Florida Gator as well, like myself. So uh, we have a few bonding moments over that on our podcast. And uh, we chatted a little bit today, actually. The podcast should be up this afternoon. We chatted about uh, the, the demolition of the Silverdome. And, uh, you know, how that went over the weekend. Moments was there to see it, the first failed implosion at least. So uh, we talked a little bit about that. He reminisced on times at the Silverdome. And then, of course, we broke down last week's game and looked ahead to this game against the Bucks. Lomas Brown. I worked with him at ESPN and uh, we used to joke all the time and I was, we were doing a segment together and talking about how offensive linemen need to pass, you know, maybe the defender uh, off to the next guy. And I was talking about pass the pizza, so to speak, you know, cause that's what Russ Grimm used to talk about. And, and sometimes <laughs> how he used to have the conversation and Lomas like, I don't know what you're talking about when it comes out of passing a pizza. <laughs> we didn't pass the pizza. We passed big bodies over to us. So Lomas and I had a chance to be together and uh, he's a fun guy uh, to yes. be around and uh, tell him I said hello when you have a chance to talk to him again. I will. I will. Thank you, Tori. We appreciate the information. Enjoy the matchup against Tampa Bay on Sunday. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Long count. Matthews got it. Wants to throw. Looks right. Comes middle. Throws. It is five. Take five. Take two. Take one. Take end zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Hi, Lions fans. It's me, Tori Petri. Hey, it's me, Lomas Brown here. We're the hosts of the Tori and Lomas podcast right here on TuneIn. found the angle to the house, and the Lions are right back in it. Tune in on Wednesdays as we break down the Lions last game and preview the game coming up. We'll see you there. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for Cordell and I to detail the teams we are more than sure are better than the rest. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. Well, typically we do this exercise in the opening hour of the program, but because we had a stellar rundown of guests, had to push it back to the final hour. So I'm sure the audience has been waiting with anticipation. When are Brian and Cordell going to rattle off their power rankings? And now I feel 
an obligation to add even more passion and energy and perhaps some production value. This could be the greatest power rankings in the history of this program, or it could be, as pedestrian as last week, you be the judge. At number five, oh, we're going to ram it. Nine and three L.A. Rams. And I've been looking for that quality victory this year. It did not come when Seattle visited Southern California at the venerable L.A. Memorial Coliseum. It didn't come on the road in Minnesota when the Rams got rammed by the Vikings, but it came a couple weeks ago against the Red Hot New Orleans Saints and the Rams able to maintain their momentum on the road in Arizona. Nine and three and a chance to make another statement on Sunday. They match up with the Philadelphia Eagles, L.A. at number five in my power rankings. Number four, the 10-2 Vikings, dare I say, blow that horn. If Case Keenan wasn't the starting quarterback, I'd have him in the top three, but we deal with the facts that are given to us. Vikings playing sensational football. They've won eight consecutive games. I wanted to see more out of this team last week on the road in Atlanta. They got it done. You know about the weapons that Keenum has to utilize, led by a playmaker like Adam Thielen. You know about a top five defense. Why are they not higher in my power rankings? Two reasons. Hayes Keenum is the quarterback, and Kai Forbath remains a bit too shaky when it comes to Field goals and extra points. Vikings will be higher in other power rankings. I'm guessing in the one that's coming up when I'm done projecting. But in my view, they're merely the fourth best team in all of football. Number three, the 10-2 Steelers. Seven consecutive wins. They're going to keep it going on Sunday Night Football when they match up with Baltimore. Reminder, Pittsburgh wins that game. They wrap up the division, and then they can continue to battle things out with the Patriots for supremacy in the AFC and home field advantage throughout the playoffs with that marquee matchup between Pittsburgh and New England coming up next Sunday. My issue with the Steelers comes down to their lack of consistency. They play down to the competition as we saw once more in that highly intense Monday night game on the road in Cincinnati when they spotted the Bengals a 17-0 lead, but they came all the way back because this is truly a complete football team. Shaking it up in my top two. I have to penalize the Eagles to a degree. I'm not going to blow things up. They're not moving out of my top five, but I think there were some question marks raised by the way they lost on the road in Seattle, sure, they're still 10-2. Yes, they have a great chance of being the one seed in the NFC, but if you watch the game or listen on TuneIn Premium, they could not tackle Russell Wilson. What are they going to do if they face a mobile quarterback in the postseason? What are they going to do if they see Cam Newton again when we get to the NFC playoffs? Plus, if you care about quote-unquote quality wins, Philadelphia merely 2-2 two and two this year against teams with a 500 or better record, I'm seeing a little bit of a flaw beyond the lack of playoff experience for an Eagle team that's been number one in my power rankings for the last month. At number one, the Patriots, 10-2. and two. Eight consecutive wins, another straightforward matchup on the road in Miami on Monday Night Football, but they may not even have to win that game to clinch the division. Don't think this is going to happen, but if the Colts beat the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday, you can hand yet another division title to Bill Belichick's team. If that's not the outcome, a New England victory over Miami clinches the division outright. The Patriots, with eight consecutive wins, I'm not seeing a major weakness on this roster. And indirectly, while I'm not condoning the dirty shot delivered by Rob Gronkowski, to me, he should have gotten a two-game suspension. Indirectly, this could help the Patriots because he'll be rested 100% physically when they take on the Steelers in a game filled with seeding implications. Recapping, 5-4-3-2-1, it's the Rams 5. Vikings 4, Steelers 3, Eagles 2, Patriots 1, back to you. Hmm, this is a pretty interesting one because the number 5 spot I have, it can go either way. And one of the teams in the top 5 dropped a lot uh, because of the loss they had this last weekend. Um, So if I go either way, I'll be okay. But I'm going to be a prisoner of the moment. At number 5, I'm going with the New Orleans Saints. 
I think what we've seen from this football team when it comes down to not having players like the Lattimores in the secondary, you see a team that may have had a hiccup at one point in time because they couldn't run the football well or they couldn't play good defense in the secondary. I think now this defense is a big part of the success of this football team, but mainly on the offensive time, offensive side. When you see Alvin Kamara and how awesome he's been, I think he's come in and helped Mark Ingram out tremendously. I think they've but based on how he runs, he opens holes even more now for Mark Ingram because it's not just about being a very physical and methodical running style offense. I mean, yeah, we are talking about the New Orleans Saints running style offense. I know we've been talking about Drew Brees for many years, but because you have players like the Alvin Kamara's of the world, I think now that you've seen him do what he does, I think it's opening up like, like pretty much like the Red Sea to an extent everybody's just running through the defensive line. You saw what they did to the Carolina Panthers, and we've seen what they've done to literally everyone in the National Football League since week three. They've done nothing but play great, and then you have the Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. He's just doing what he does. My number four team, I'm going with the Rams. I give the Rams this pass, and there's one team that probably will not be in the top five. People say, what are you talking about? Well, I tell you what, the teams I'm talking about are teams that are trending in the right direction. They're not having hiccups at this point in time of the year that could accidentally cause them to not be at the top of the rankings when it comes down to their conference. But the teams like the Rams, they're doing a good job. I think Sammy Watkins, when you watch what he's done, he's been pretty darn tremendous, having 31 catches and having six touchdowns out of those 31 catches. That's pretty darn tremendous. You have Todd Gurley out of the backfield. You know you had Jared Goff. You know this defense. They play with a tremendous amount of confidence. And one thing you know for sure about this team, if they're behind, they have the capabilities of scoring points and being able to win football games because what we've been able to see them do. But they have a game they have to travel to at the latter part of this year, playing against the Seattle Seahawks. I think that's going to give you the real story about who this team truly is. And at number three, I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, they squeaked that game out. I said this to everyone around the world that are listening to us here on TuneIn, our show called No Huddle. I said, you know what? This game against the Cincinnati Bengals is going to be a nail-biter. And trust me, the head-banging that we saw, the collisions that were created, the physical game, the physical style of football, and some of the, the, the smash-mouth dirty talking type of stuff with Juju Schuster standing over Vontez Burfecht. That's the type of a football game you were going to see. But the thing about the Pittsburgh Steelers, they've never won in a pretty way. It's never been pretty for the Steelers. It has always been ugly going all the way back, honestly, to when I played. It was some ugly football to say the least, but I tell you what, this football team is steadily getting it done and you can't do nothing but be proud of them. My number two team, yes, I'm going to say my number two team, the Minnesota Vikings with Case Keenum. Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings are sitting at the number two spot, baby. Case Keenum, trust me. I know he's a short guy, and I say this out of all due respect, because no one expects those types of guys, as far as the size is concerned, to really be productive. But let me tell you something. Out of 369 dropbacks, he's been sacked only nine times. He's below double digits. Yes, it's the offensive line, but it's also the elusiveness of this young man, but the decision-making as well, I think, has been a big part of success. This defense, I don't know why they're not getting enough credit. They came on the road. In this team's home, this home team, this team's home stadium, and only allowed them nine points. That was just three field goals by the Atlanta Falcons. Julio Jones, we saw catch 250 plus yards the week prior. This week, they end up holding him to under 100 yards. Let's just say maybe under 80 yards. How about under 50? I mean, they just held him down. I may be dead wrong, but they held him down and not allowed him to do anything. This Minnesota Vikings team, I honestly can say, you mentioned it, Thielen, uh, Rudolph. And also Diggs. And then the backfield when it has Murray and you have McKinnon. This is a very good football team that has a tremendous amount of, 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 let's just say, balance. And you have Michael Floyd that we don't really talk about much. And he's just kind of dangling around. He's on the football team. We've seen him make a couple plays here and there. Made one actually playing against the Rams when, when it was really needed. This football team is one of the better teams in the game, and the reason why no one's giving him respect is because of the guy at the quarterback position, but he's defying all the naysayers, and he's steadily playing well. And last but not least, the New England Patriots. I mean, what more can you say? Gronkowski probably put a dirty mark on this football team from the standpoint of how you play. The only dirty mark that I can say between the lines that I've seen, uh, and only getting a one-game suspension, he should have gotten much more, but you know what? That's what they gave him, but that doesn't stop them from being the best team in the National Football League because they're doing it the right way they're getting it done 
by any means necessary with whoever steps on the football field, and mainly because of Tom Terrific, the guy number 12, he and Bill Belichick, and the going back and forth with his offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels. Those three guys right there, they are getting it done. So starting off at number five. Yes, at number five. Who did I pick at number five? The New Orleans Saints. Then I went to the Rams, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Case Keenum at number two with the Minnesota Vikings. I got a case for you and case close. At number one, the New England Patriots with your guy Rob Gronkowski being doity on the player in Buffalo by giving a uh on the head and getting a guy concussed, which caused him to have a suspension. But there it is. New Orleans, Rams, Steelers, Minnesota Vikings, and Case Keenum in the Patriots. Back to you. No, you were excited Tiger Woods was back on the golf course last week. Would you like a mulligan? Do you realize you did not put Philadelphia in your I top sure five at all? I sure did not. I sure did not. As I told the listeners, I was, I was, I was a prisoner of the moment. Uh, we saw a team that didn't have a running game, and the running game was by the quarterback himself. They couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop it. Everyone was talking about you not having uh, Richard Sherman, not having Cam Chancellor. You having a gimpy Earl Thomas in the secondary, secondary because of the hamstring. Uh, this team was not supposed to win that football game. And because of that win by the Seattle Seahawks and being getting beaten by the guy number three and Russell Wilson, I have them at five and a half, but that's not a part of the top five. You don't get anything with a point five outside of the five, okay? Say, so, yes, they're outside of my top five because the other five teams, they took care of their business this week and they're doing the things that we expect them to do. The Philadelphia Eagles, we did not expect to see this team. Now, it would have been different Maybe if I would have put Seattle in and I may have been reaching just a little bit because Seattle has been tr- has been struggling, but I didn't even put them in. Just to let you know, I wasn't trying to just go too far outside of my analysis and just blow smoke up the people's uh, ears. So what I did was I said, you know what, Philly? Because I have higher expectations of you. And as I told you, being a front runner early on, you wonder what's going to happen at the latter part of the year. To me, they lost to a team that don't have as much talent, I think, overall because of injuries and most importantly because the quarterback does not have a credible running game to indicate to me that you know this team defensively should be in the top five. So at five and a half, they're lucky I have them at five and a half. So they're, 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 they're outside of my top five for now. Okay. Are you auditioning for a TV job filled with hot takes? How can you have Philadelphia out of your top five? I just told no sense. I don't know. I don't know they've lost two games this that. year. On the road to Kansas City when the yeah. Chiefs are undefeated, and on the road in Seattle, the toughest place to play in the NFL. And how could you not have Minnesota at number two? No, no, no. I have them in my top five because <laughs> yeah. at least I'm logical. Well, this makes your, no your, your sense logic whatsoever. Is based on Case Keenum, who's playing some of the best football of any quarterback in the game. But I did not remove them from my top five. I have to move Philadelphia from no, my top five. No, you can't have Philadelphia let, ahead let, of let the Let me break it down to you this way. Look at the standings. They're ten and two. Who gives two snots? That's your top five. This is mine. <laughs> I want you the show to yours. have some credibility. I'm on mine. Let me give you a little something here. When you look at these top five teams you have in the game, one thing you notice for sure, there's three NFC teams within it. You tell me which three teams in the NFC right now are the hottest three teams in the NFC. Right now. Hottest. The hottest teams are teams like the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Rams. Not the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles lost one game. Lost one game or lost two games? They're coming off a one-game losing streak, quote-unquote. And the loss they had was right. to a team that was a lesser team than okay. them in the On Seattle the road Seahawks in Seattle. without a running game. They don't have a running game. Russell the Wilson is in the top the three in the MVP conversation. We did that earlier in the show. We're just now, I mean, everyone is really starting to do this. That's saying that, him, that he, we've been saying this for a long time. Everyone else is starting to say this about Russell Wilson, what he's done. I'm, I'm telling you this. This defense by the Minnesota Vikings got beat by one guy. That was Russell Wilson. That's not a good enough defense in my mind to be in my top five. You didn't have a running game. The runner in this football game, the player in this football game, it wasn't Richard Sherman. It wasn't Cam Chancellor. It was Russell Wilson. And because of Russell Wilson is why this football team, and of course the defense played well. I thought, Collectively, the defense played phenomenal. I mean, made the stops they needed to make. But I was in between a rock and a hard place of should I put Philadelphia at five or should I put at New Orleans at number five? And I saw a New Orleans team play against a Carolina Panthers football team that was trending in the right direction. Sure, but they that won was that arguably game at home. one of the most physical teams in the game. They won that game at home and they had already beaten Carolina. I get that. But we always talk about splits. That's the NFC South. Anything can happen in the NFC South. I mean, this New Orleans Saints team have to play Atlanta twice. 
We don't know what's going to happen in that one. But all I'm basically saying is, is what I saw this past weekend and all the other five teams that I picked, they play much better football than Philadelphia. Playing against a team that doesn't have a running game and their marquee players are injured on the defense. Why couldn't they convert the way we've seen them do in the past? That's the question. Because no one's going undefeated, and they had a nine-game winning streak going well, they into Seattle. They weren't undefeated either. They were 9-10-1, and, and one, whatever they no, were coming into this game, but now they sit there at 10-2 right now, right? Right, but They're, my point is, it's a week-by-week week league. It is a week-by-week week league. You're going to have some weeks, you always tell me this, in which you don't play your best. Yeah, which you don't play your best, and by them not playing their best and everything being so tight at this point in time, I mean, think about it. The teams I have in my top five right now, 10-2, and two, Pittsburgh Steelers. 10-2, and two, New England Patriots. 10 and 2, who should be in the top two or three, Minnesota, but you have them at four because of Case Keenum. And then when you look at the Rams right now, they're 9 and 3. In Philadelphia, they're 10 and 2. But guess what ended up happening? You end up seeing a, a, a Philadelphia Eagles team lose to a lesser team in the Seattle Seahawks that lost four games. That's where I'm coming from. They lost four games this year. You lost to a team that's, that's not even, they don't even have a true identity quite yet. They're just getting it done. That's where I'm coming from. So while Minnesota should have been higher because it's a 10-win football team, you had them at four because of Case Keenum. So there's logic in everything that we're speaking on based on what we choose to pull out to determine where these guys are supposed to be. Right now, you had a Seattle Seahawks team who had four losses. You had a team in the Philadelphia Eagles who had one loss, went on the road and lost to this team Hands down, it wasn't even So you even move up from number one out of your top five? That to seems to be six. an overreaction. To number six. No, it's not an overreaction. So why is not Minnesota in your top two? I have them in my top five. At that point, it's why they're a not beauty the top contest. Two. They got ten wins. It's a they beauty have ten contest. Wins. How could they not be in the top two? Because the power rankings. Because of Case Keenum. So, Just call it. Give me the horn, please. As Can I, I get the horn? The power rankings. Give me the horn in this power rankings. The staff is busy. Case Keenum. That's what I'm saying. Here's how I view the power rankings. It's a moment in time. It's a snapshot, and also my confidence yeah. level in all of these teams. Yes, it's not. It's, it's it's what you see. You're projecting this team doing moving forward, and what you just came off of watching. I just watched the best team in the NFC before last week. This past weekend, lose to a team that lost four games. Period. I don't know what else to tell you. No, I just think you're being now, too harsh. I think you're being no, too severe. Oh, this is this is a harsh reality. I'm I'm sorry that the teams that I did elevate inside of my top five are teams that are are some of the hottest teams right now. I don't think I'm I'm hallucinating or delusional when I talk about the Patriots and how great they are, the Minnesota Vikings and how great they are, yep. the Steelers and how how great they're playing, Keep going. the Rams and where they've come from, Keep going. and the New Orleans Saints and what That's they've done. That's where you made the error in my view. With the Rams? No, the Saints. Putting the Saints ahead of the Eagles. Oh, heck no. That's not right. Because rational. no one expects the Saints to do what they're doing right now. Well, it's not, not about close. defying expectations. And by the way, Philadelphia was a last-place team last year. Philadelphia. Last. See, there you go. See, you well, pull you just from said what nobody expected the so Saints to do what they're doing. You're going to last year. But I'm just following your rationale. You just said nobody expected the Saints to do what they're year. doing. How was this defense in this running game with the New Orleans Saints last year? Horrid. Well, they couldn't be any worse they this year, right? They couldn't do anything. They couldn't even get in their own way. So now we make we create an analysis full of Philadelphia Eagles and what they weren't able to do last year. I want to tell you about the Saints from last year. They had none of what they have right now. And trust me, they're doing it mainly because of the defense as of lately in this running game led by the rookie in Alvin Kamara. So you're telling me what we're watching right now with this football team from a balance standpoint, that's not something that needs to be paid attention to? They should be outside of the top five? Why? I'm not diminishing what they've done, but if you're asking me who's the better team at this stage of the season, Philadelphia or New Orleans, unquestionably it's the Eagles. How? And they just lost to a team that just lost had four losses. In Seattle. That was not a neutral site game. They didn't play that game on the moon. this is the Philadelphia they Eagles that in has Seattle. the most balanced football team in the National Football League, correct? And they played poorly. I'll concede that, but that's there one you game. Go. And so what I'm saying is, again, if we're going off of what we say of last year and teams and how they look in comparison to what they've looked like before, this team, to me, with what they have in New Orleans, that is the balance you need. And most importantly... The part of the game you need moving forward in the month of December, which is a very good running game and a very good run-stop defense. And what did we see from this defense? Let's just say in the, in, in the, in the Philadelphia Eagles, whether it's stopping the pass or stopping the run, they looked average against the Seattle Seahawks who lost 
four games. Four, four, not one, not two, not three, four, four games, four, four. Let me say it again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock. That, that stuff right there. Bill okay? Haley in the Comets. That's a contemporary yeah, you got reference. Me? Yeah. And so now when you look at the New Orleans Saints and what they're doing, it's totally different than what we're accustomed to covering when we talk about the New Orleans Saints. Totally different. We're talking about a defense that's creating plays. They don't even have Lattimore in the game right now. He'll be back hopefully this week. This Thursday, matter of fact, to be to be honest, because we know who they have to play this week. They play against the Yellow Falcons. And so we hope he's coming back. And they're playing this type of football without their starters on all their starters on the defensive side of the football. So for them to get to this point where they are right now from a consistent standpoint, I like what I see from the New Orleans Saints. So I had to choose between at the number five spot because Philly wasn't going no higher than that. Because the other teams that I chose in front of them, the Rams, the Steelers, and Minnesota, and of course the Patriots, I couldn't move Philadelphia in that mix. I just couldn't do it because the other teams are playing, especially Minnesota. Okay, let me just use your logic for a second. So your power ranking between Philly and New Orleans. No, I got you, but but I just want to play this out to its conclusion. Your power rankings. This is a week-to-week thing, correct? I agree. Yeah, snapshot. One moment in time. You want to sing that, Whitney? One moment in time. Your power rankings tell me. Not that. No, go ahead. I'm listening. This is how you see the NFC. Minnesota's currently the best team, right? Because they're the highest ranked. NFC team in your power currently, ranking? Currently, they are, okay. yes. The way they, followed yes, by yes, they the Rams. Yep. Followed by the Saints. Yep. And you're telling me the Eagles are only yep. the fourth best team in that conference. That's why I have them right now. Okay. Because I, now I find that you to had be the curious. Steelers and you had the Patriots in there, you got to fit it in some type sure. of way. Just talking about the NFC. I'm sorry? So I just find it curious that you think Philadelphia, yeah, based on it. one loss, is now the fourth best right team now. in their conference. 100%. Okay, just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. The fourth best team beat by which team in this conference? On the which road cream, in which Seattle. Team beat this team. Russell Wilson has played out of his mind. Time, we're, we're, we're being selective in our hearing. Well, I'm semi-deaf. The Seattle you know Seahawks got beat by who in their stadium? Who did, who did Seattle Seahawks got beat by? Washington Redskins stadium? on a fluky play, and Seattle asking, had the most penalties in 25 years in one game. Oh, so now we're calling football fluky now. No, it's That's called why mitigating you play the game. circumstances. So the Seattle Seahawks lost to who at their stadium? The Washington Redskins. I'm just asking a question. Uh-huh. All right. So when you lose to the Washington Redskins, as bad as the Washington Redskins are right now, that tells you that Seattle's getting much better. Correct? Without a running game. <laughs> okay. So if Seattle's getting that much better and they're trending in the right direction and Philadelphia is the top team. I got you. How about all of, this? All power rankings. Skip and Shannon are going to take some time off during the holidays. Do you want to fill in? I can call people at Fox with all your hot takes. You no, I'm going stay TV? right here. Huh? <laughs> this is where we needed that. I'm not giving it to no one else. You and I are going to do this, and we're going to have this discussion. I'm saying, Philadelphia you are is outside ready, of my top five. You are ready to go inside <laughs> a TV with a lot of Phil hot takes, man. I like it. Yeah, I would. Why wouldn't I? Because no one would disagree with what I said about the other teams. Okay, unfortunately, we're There's up against no the way block. possible you can disagree no. with anything I've said about the it, other teams. This comes askew. down to personal preference uh-huh. of who you choose to have in your top five. I agree. I don't read these top fives. I know you don't. I go off of what I see on television. <laughs> you think I have time to write a script here? And I see here? the direction they're going. <laughs> yes, I came in seven hours early know. and wrote out the show today. So all I'm basically saying is, I don't know I don't know what you're doing free time, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> the New Orleans Saints and what they're doing right now is going in a better direction for what I've seen in the okay. top five. And we'll find out tomorrow Philadelphia. when the Saints they take out the They lost to a team that has four losses. How do you explain playing against a team that has four losses? Because explain of the, lo- that to me. the location of that game. In Seattle, toughest place to play in all of football. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. We're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, we have seen Tom Brady vent on the sideline in the past, but what do you make of that volcanic eruption directed at offense coordinator Josh McDaniels on Sunday? I think it shows that the 40-year-old is certainly uh, still engaged in what's going on uh, in New England. And, you know, uh, you know, you see a guy like Jay Cutler, who's much younger and retired. And even when he didn't retire, there were questions about, you know, his focus on the football field, his passion, commitment to his team in the game. Uh, I don't think you'll ever question that with Tom Brady as long as he is playing in the NFL. And, you know, you're right. We've seen this before. The only difference is, personalities. Billy O'Brien, when he was the offensive coordinator, was a more fiery guy that was going to bark back. Uh, Josh McDaniels isn't, um, but McDaniels and Brady are extremely close. They've been together the entirety um, you know, of their careers, basically. And the, you know, the lone difference being when McDaniels left to go to Denver and then St. Louis as the coordinator, but that was a short, short uh, departure for him. Otherwise, it's been all Brady and McDaniels and He's a passionate guy, and, you know, I saw some people tweeting, oh, I guess we see who the real offensive coordinator in New England is. Well, yeah, I mean, the 17-year quarterback has a massive shareholder in this, in this offense, and he has a lot to say. He's been here forever. Um, but he has a lot of respect for, for Josh McDaniels, and I just I think you saw an example of the fire that still, still burns very passionately in Tom Brady. Speaking of passion, um, what about Rob Gronkowski? I know you've been getting this uh, all week, um, but it's it's something that we haven't seen on this football team and since I've been knowing Bill Belichick as the head coach, but his actions in that game against Buffalo, you know, seeing what's going on, being frustrated, allowing his anger to come out and, and hit a defenseless player in a different way between the lines that we normally see. You think the one-game suspension was enough? You know, I, I think it probably was simply because we haven't seen this from Gronkowski before. He does not have a track record, and I think that was part of the decision. I think uh, Troy Vincent said that today, that, you know, if this had been a different guy with a different history or if this was Rob Gronkowski next year or the year after and this is already on his, his record, I think you're going to see more. But it was just sort of out of character. Um, you know, it was obviously just a, just a terrible decision. He lost his cool. I don't buy the excuses. I don't care if you were held on this play. I don't care if you were held on every pass route you've run for seven years. Um, there's no excuse for the way he lost his cool. And he's, he's getting what he deserved. I, I thought it was good that he apologized pretty immediately post-game to Tredavious White. I didn't love that the apology was pretty quickly followed by sort of excuse-making and wondering why there wasn't a flag and all that uh, kind of crap. Um, you know, I've heard some Patriots fans trying to excuse it, and to me that's just there's a big difference between what goes on between the whistles, between the lines on the field, and what Rob Gronkowski did. And, I mean, I think you saw what, what Bill Belichick thought of it. You know, the, the cameras captured him post-game talking to Sean McDermott, McDermott and, and calling it BS and apologizing for it. So, you know, it's one of those things where I tend to think if for whatever reason Gronkowski hadn't been suspended, I think there's a chance Bill Belichick would have benched him um, for some portion of this week's game because he he didn't care for it. So, you know, I, this will forever be on Gronkowski's record, and, and people will talk about it and remember it. Um, hopefully you won't see him do something like this again, and uh, this will be the one black mark sort of in his career here. Chatting with Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio and the Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Andy, I don't want to be crass, but we had a long conversation in the offseason about Gronkowski's financial incentives. How much does missing this game impact that bottom line based on what the Patriots did in the offseason? Yeah, it hurts him. Um, in terms of catches and yards, it's probably going to make it very difficult for him to get to that top, uh, top tier, which sort of doubles his salary from five and change to ten and change. But I will say... One of, those, one of those incentives is, is all-pro. If he is the first-team all-pro tight end, um, then he gets, the, I think it's $10.75 million, and he's very much in that conversation. Uh, he missed a game earlier this year with a leg injury. He's going to miss this game, but if you look at it, he's leading the Patriots in receptions, leading them in touchdowns. He's up there with Jimmy Graham, uh, Travis Kelsey, those guys, and I firmly believe He's a better all-around player than those guys. He is a true blocker. We've seen it a handful of games this year where he's sort of been kept in as a blocker and been more dominant in that facet, both in run blocking and pass protection. Um, so I certainly think there's a possibility that he still gets all pro 
um, for this season and gets that double of his salary. Um, but if he doesn't, then he's probably going to be a tier down, and it could cost him a couple million bucks. I'm hearing that Chris Hogan came back to practice. How, how coincidental is it that he comes back when Gronkowski is injured, and does he keep the, the engine rolling the way it's been when it comes to the passing game? I'm still a little dubious of, of Hogan being on the field this week, and the Patriots sort of have, when, when guys miss you know, extended time, four, five, six weeks, their general MO as a team is they return to the practice field one week, and then it's another week of practice after that before they return to the game, game field. It's very rare that a guy's out for a month plus, comes back to the practice field on Wednesday, and by that Sunday he's back on the game field. But, you know, maybe Hogan's different from that normal timeline, and certainly it would be beneficial to them if, you know, for Gronkowski to be out to get Hogan back. But um, they still have weapons. It'll be different. You know, don't get me wrong. When you lose your leading receiver and, you know, one of the best players to ever play the game in his position, that's a blow. But you know, this is a team that still has Brandon Cooks, a, a top-level Pro Bowl-quality playmaker at receiver. They have the passing backs that they can lean on, whether it's James White or Rex Burkhead or even Deion Lewis, who doesn't get thrown to a ton anymore but is very capable in that area. You know, they still have um, the, the, the other guys in the, the receiving group where Philip Dorsett has been here now the whole season. He's been open. They've sort of missed him a few times, but you know, they could lean on him. And then Danny Amendola, who they – I've had it on a pitch count basically all year because he just has a bad knee that if you throw it to him, if he's too involved, if there's too many reps, he won't make it through the season. This may be a week where instead of two catches, he's going to have to get you know six, eight catches out of the slot. So I still think they have plenty of weapons to lean on without Gronkowski and even if Hogan isn't able to get back out there this week. Daniel, let's wrap it up with coaching moves as head coaching jobs open up across the league and the Giants have started that trend. How much do you expect Patriot defensive coordinator Matt Patricia's name to come up? He was linked to a few openings last year. Oh, a ton. You know, certainly it'll depend on what teams are looking for. You know, it seems like there's always that shift. You know, sometimes teams fire an offensive coach. They want to bring in a defensive coach or vice versa. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. When you talk to all the various decision makers at the Combine over the last couple of years, and I take it with a grain of salt because a lot of them interviewed Matt Patricia but didn't end up hiring him, but – to a man, they raved about how impressive he is, how intelligent he is, and how quickly they think he is going to be a productive head coach in the National Football League. He's going to get his opportunities this year, and quite frankly, he deserves them because this defense stunk over the first month, and I still don't think they're overly talented. I think the front seven is doing it with smoke and mirrors. They're overcoming a lack of a run defense and a lack of a pass rush, and it's eight straight weeks now. Opponents haven't scored more than 17 points. In fact, the points have been on the downward spiral to three points allowed last week against Buffalo. I think he's done a remarkable job, and he's an impressive guy. You know, one of the talking points around here is always sort of his image. You know, the big Yeah, I was going to ask guy, you about the, the beard. Do you think optics matter yeah. there? And I don't mean to be facetious, but sometimes you got to look the part to get a big job. Nope, that's part of the discussion. And I think that's an individual decision by team owners because these guys are the face of the franchise, they're out there, what, four or five times a week. They're doing press conferences. In a lot of these cities, those are you know, live on the local sports channels and on the radio. And you look at him, and he's got the backwards hat, the pencil in his ear, kind of makes funny faces, has the big beard. Um, I don't know. And he, A lot of people probably remember he got off the plane coming back from the Super Bowl with that Roger Goodell clown nose T-shirt on. I think a lot of people didn't like that. So... You know, there's certainly some image issues that he has to deal with. He's a terrible conference call, I'll tell you that much. As somebody who has to listen to him speak to the media every Tuesday, he's a terrible, <laughs> terrible conference call. Um, so I, I think coaches, I mean, I mean, owners will take that into account, but they also have to take into account the success he's had with this defense. You know, one of the best, top scoring defense for a Super Bowl team a year ago, trending in that direction again this year, coming from Bill Belichick as an understudy. Sure, those guys have failed in the past, but he's also an impressive young coach. So he's going to get his chance this year, next year, and next year or so, um, and we'll see how successful he is being his own man because I think that's what he needs to be, his own man. He can't be Belichick 2.0. He needs to be Matt Patricia 1.0 and succeed in that way. Andy, I considered growing a beard a la Patricia. It occurred to me it would take me a decade to match that hair suit look that he has mastered. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I think it's easier to pull off when you're an aeronautical engineer Mm. and – 
a high-level NFL assistant coach. It's harder when you, you know, Joe Average guys like you or I. People look at us funny. Well, yeah, I went to Stanford, so I could pull it off, you know. Oh, nice. Thank you. Uh, why are you stuck doing talk radio? I made a series of bad decisions. <laughs> Andy, that always a pleasure. Andy. We'll chat with you next week. <laughs> All right, see you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Gold, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Nick Mencio from rotoworld.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30, he's gone! He's gone, what a move! It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fix. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by one of the best in the business, Nick Mezzio, rotoworld.com. So, Nick, let's start in New York City because I have been in this exact same situation I'm going to lay out. Played in a two-quarterback league. I made it to the playoffs. And I was in dire straits. So if somebody is enduring my kind of pain, would you take a flyer on Eli Manning returning to the starting lineup? Because irrespective of what happens during the game, we know it's going to be a very emotional scene when he enters the game and receives a standing ovation at the Meadowlands. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think there's going to be a little bit of a fire lit under these guys now that Eli's back under center. Uh, Dallas is, has allowed the ninth most fantasy points to quarterbacks. Uh, 23 pass touchdowns allowed. That's second most, second highest in the league. Uh, they're playing at home in New York. Uh, like you said, the fans are going to be behind them. I mean, I like Eli a lot in this spot. I think this game has a, has a little bit of a chance to, to to be some fun. Nick, what are you seeing from Ricky Seals Jones and his value down the stretch? Man, I just cannot get behind, get on this guy. Just he just doesn't play a lot of snaps, but when he's out there, Blaine Gabbert and him just have, seem to have a bit of a connection. They they've been running with a third team offense most of the season, and then uh, once Gabbert got the job, Seals Jones comes out of nowhere and just is making plays. I think I think we got to start taking this guy seriously. Uh, this week against the Titans, I would definitely. I mean, guys like Zach Ertz has a has a concussion. Rob Gronkowski suspended, so teams in the fancy playoffs, I might be. I'd be taking a look at this guy. Gabbert clearly trusts him. Nick, since we were talking about the Cowboys and the Giants, how much are you buying Alfred Morris this Sunday? He finally had that breakout game that Cowboy fans were looking for without Ezekiel Elliott on Thursday Night Football against his old team, the Redskins. Yeah, played a season-high 55% of snaps that night. Uh, handled 27 of the 37 running back carries for Dallas. Uh, had a huge game, 127 yards and a touchdown, and the Giants have just been like hemorrhaging uh, yards to running backs lately, averaging or they're allowing an average of 4.5 your, five, four yards per carry to running backs on the ground over the last five weeks. Marshawn Lynch just had his first 100-yard game of the season last week against them, scored a touchdown. Samaj P. Ryan had 132, 130 total yards against them three weeks ago, and Carlos Hyde had 104 yards against them four weeks ago. So I like this spot a lot for Morris. Where is Alex Collins ranked right now amongst running backs as we've seen the Ravens uh, move forward with their offense, uh, let's just say getting better as the week goes by. Yeah, I mean, the thing with him right now is his migraines are kind of starting to pop up a little bit. I know he was at practice today, but he was wearing a hoodie and sunglasses, so hopefully he can shake those before Sunday. But like you said, he scored four touchdowns the past three games, uh, has scored in three straight games. The Ravens know what they want to do. They want to play defense and run the ball. Uh, this matchup isn't great against Pittsburgh on Sunday night, but – I mean, if I got Alex Collins on my team, it's hard to sit him right now when he's scoring touchdowns or giving him goal line work. Uh, They know they want to run the ball, like I said. Uh, He's an RB2 moving forward the rest of the way. 
It's the Fantasy Fix. Nick Mencio, RotoWorld.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Nick Golden Tate has been wildly inconsistent when you factor in Matthew Stafford's hand injury. Are you avoiding all of the Lion receivers, although it could be a favorable matchup on the road to Tampa Bay? Yeah, I really need to see what Stafford does this week in practice. I have a hard time believing he's going to sit. I mean, he plays through so many injuries. One of the toughest guys in the league. Uh, like you said, this Bucks pass defense is one to, one to take advantage of. They've allowed the most catches to receivers, the most yards to the position, the most fantasy points to, to the position. Uh, this is just a huge breakout spot for Marvin Jones, Golden Tate. Those, both those guys look like to be in great spots if Stafford can play. But if Jake Rudock's under center, uh, I definitely got to downgrade these guys a little bit. But I'm, I'll be running Tate out there because you think a, a young quarterback like Rudock will just be throwing the ball short passes. So that, that would seem to work in favor of Tate. There's a tremendous amount of why can't questions we can ask about the Cleveland Browns, but trying to figure out how can they get the ball to Duke Johnson into space? Yeah, I mean, they, I think they missed the opportunity now with Corey Coleman healthy, Josh Gordon back from suspension, David Njoku uh, playing an increased role on offense. They want to throw the ball downfield with Deshaun Kaiser's big arm. Uh, Duke Johnson's only playing 50% of the snaps, splitting time in the backfield with Isaiah Crowell. Only saw nine touches last week. Four targets last week were the second fewest of the season for Duke. Uh, I just with all these guys healthy in this offense, not scoring a lot of points, it's hard to get behind him. I just don't like him very much. He's a low floor PPR play, flex play right now. Hard to trust in the fantasy playoffs coming up. Nick, I mentioned that I got emotionally scarred playing in that league with two starting quarterbacks. I tried to petition for change. I was shunned, so I quit. I got a lot of problems. I'm not playing fantasy football anymore, so I need your expertise because at the top of the hour, we're going to try to position where Russell Wilson belongs in the MVP conversation. Who's the MVP of fantasy football this season? Oh, man, that's a that's a tough question there. It's got to be uh, – I think it's got to be Russell Wilson. I mean, mid-round fantasy pick, uh, playing as the quarterback, overall quarterback one right now, wasn't expected to be up here. The offensive line wasn't very good. Uh, he's just making all the plays. Antonio Brown's got to be in the conversation as well. Uh, both those guys, man. I mean, we know Tom Brady's going to be in the conversation, but that was pre- predicted for, from the start of the season. Carson Wentz also in the conversation, a late, late round, late round pick. So if you got Wentz on your team, you're probably looking pretty good right now. Well, that's the MVP of the league. But let's talk about when it comes to fantasy, the rookie of the year. Is, is Alvin Kamara in that conversation? Oh, I think it's he's running away with it right now. Just scoring tons of fantasy points per touch, like just like record-setting fantasy points per touch right now. And tomorrow night could be huge for him, especially if Mark Ingram doesn't play. I, I, I can't wait to see what this guy does tomorrow night if Mark Ingram doesn't play. I mean, he could have like in one of the truly elite running back one performances of the season tomorrow. Finally, Nick, as a highly esteemed figure in the fantasy industry, will you share my mindset? These two starting quarterback leagues are nonsense. They're garbage. What do you think? <laughs> I don't play in any of them. Honestly. Thank you, Nick. I, I, I agree with you. I've never played in one. To, to be honest, I just I just don't play in them. Uh, there's too many bad quarterbacks yes. in the league these days. Thank you. I mean, yeah, you, there's only like 15 quarterbacks max. You exactly. Can even in football right now. And Nick, and thank so you. You're, if you're I, running guys out there like Tom Savage, I know it's it's, it's another waste Kaiser, of time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not just it's venting not here as a talk show host, but Nick, He's venting. Let me take you behind the curtain. I'm a sportscaster, right? Everybody else in the league is selling insurance. I come with, I think, a different worldview, and I go, guys, this is a colossal waste of time. And they said, well, we got to put it to a vote. Nick, why am I not the commissioner? Why don't I have total control of that league? I don't know. You're playing in a league with some with – I, I think you need to get in a league with some new guys probably. Yeah, I need some cool guys like you, Nick. I'm going to play next year, all right? We're going to work this out. Let's make it happen. I think Nick's afraid of me. Nick, we appreciate (laughs) the insights. Enjoy your week, and we'll chat with you as we get closer to the Fantasy Super Bowl on the NFL on TuneIn. Yes, sir. You got to have a good one. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.